Hello everyone. I'm so pleased to be speaking to you in this second series of podcasts. This time I have an even greater gem to share and I'm really, really excited to unravel this with you. It is a poem called Aruvu by Sri Narayana Guru. The podcast is based on the book by Muni Narayana Prasad and you will be blown away, I mean absolutely blown away, with his explanations and the understanding given here. In a nutshell, this poem left me with an eureka moment of clarity, which is not of the intellectual, but something far deeper, in an intuitive way, and I don't think I'm the same anymore. As an ebb and flow of a wave racing to the shore, I felt an urgency to share this with you because the poem has answers that I've been seeking and it seems forever has been the question of why, who am I, why am I here, what is the purpose of my life? These questions have plagued me since my young days, through my teens and continued. Reading the various books about religion, books about Upanishads, life experience all left a void. Most other books gave me some answers, took me part of the way, but the journey never arrived at the end point, as I felt there was more. But this poem is one that has answered my search. These verses, of which there are 15, and the explanations by Swami Munni Prasad, has satisfied my quest. After reading and rereading this poem and the explanations, I felt happier, and my questions subsided, and life had a meaning, and it was no longer my life, but life as a whole, and the meaning is that it does not have a meaning per se but it is all part of evolving and involving evolution and involution of the pure consciousness, which is infinite, immortal and regardless and our effulgent light. As I felt happier, I wanted to share this poem with you. And that's how this podcast number two came into being. Aruvu translated from the original language of Malayalam means knowledge Like all translations, something of the depth in the meaning is lost, as it means far more than knowledge, more than that which can be taught. It is inherent and it is a felt knowledge. So I hope you really enjoy this poem, which is so exquisite as complex and simple all at the same time. I compared this poem with that of a pinhole, a clued. Uh, an occlude is an opaque disc which is a which has a small hole through it it's used by the optometrist to test the visual acuity so this poem is like the occlude as it enlightens and answers questions about life why what when and how so in this first series of podcasts Um, I will start with the introduction here today, written by Swami Munni Narayana Prasad, and then subsequent ones will take a verse at a time. My thanks to Swami Tammer for the classes that he held over a period of five years, and I was fortunate to have been in his class, and his support and encouragement is the reason why these podcasts have been made. In the words of Swami Munni Prasad about the poem Aruvu, he said, It is a philosophical piece 
that is unparalleled in the history of taught all throughout the world. This is really exciting. Um, You are really going to enjoy this amazing poem. So let's start this journey. As I read you the introduction, written by Swami Munni Narayana Prasad, so much clarity and understanding is given here. So enjoy the introduction and I'll just read verbatim from what's been written. To know, to think and let know are the features that differentiate humans from other beings. Devoid of this faculty, humans are just like any other animal. Every knowledge is a functional mode of consciousness and without it there will be no awareness of one's own existence nor that of the world. This consciousness could be seen as of two dimensions, one the individuated and the other the universal. From the efforts we make to ensure sufficient food to eat, clothes to wear, a comfortable abode in which to live and other activities of self-preservation at one extreme to the never-ending efforts we make to know the secret of the world at the other. All such are functions of the consciousness of individuated beings. Let us now think of the consciousness that universally underlies the entire cosmic system. Many energy particles combine together in an unalterable and preconceived systematic way to form an atom of every physical element. Whether energy is a particle or wave, that is to say, whether matter or non-matter, is decided not by the energy we examine, but by the examining mind. This is a well-admitted fact by modern theoretical physics. At the other pole of it, we notice the countless galaxies and nebulae together forming a boundless universe. Though inconceivable to the human mind, this universe apparently has a structural coherence of its own, despite all the explosions and implosions that take place in it, and the unpredictable changes happening even at its minutest level. This indicates that a consciousness fills the being of the entire universe. Thus, individually, as well as universally conceived, the world and the life system in it is supported by an inherent consciousness. What is this all-controlling and all-filling consciousness? How are consciousness and the objects it becomes conscious of related? Is consciousness one or many? Will there be a world existing without a knowing consciousness? How far is the extensiveness of consciousness? How can we know the real nature of this consciousness? Will this consciousness decompose and cease to be as all physical objects do? What existed before something being known? We know that we know. Is not knowing a knowledge or non-knowledge? Did the objective world emerge first and the consciousness arise out of it so that it could make the very world its object? Or do the two always remain together? Or else did consciousness originate first? 
and then the objective world emerged out of it. Is it not consciousness that gives room to exist for the very space that gives room for everything to exist? If so, is it not in consciousness that the entire universe has its being? Will the world exist if no one exists to know it? Is there anything that is not comprehensible to knowledge? Where did consciousness originate from? Where does each specific knowledge originate from? Who am I who knows? I am a being who knows. Under which category could consciousness be included when subjecting it to analysis? How does the experience of knowing emerge? By the knowing mind entering the object known? or by the known object entering the knowing mind? How are consciousness and I related? Am I consciousness itself? Or is consciousness simply a quality of the entity called I? How are the objects of knowledge to be understood analytically? How are the sense organs, because of which we are aware of external objects, and consciousness related? Each object of knowledge and the objective world as a whole, apparently have respective structural perfections. Does the consciousness that knows them also have the same structure? Is consciousness something analysable? Do such questions have definite answers, or is it altogether an answerless mystery? Numerous are such questions that consciousness creates about itself. Narayana Guru in this pithy and short composition, answers all such questions as part of depicting a comprehensive vision of the functionally existing consciousness reality. Questions are answered in a dialectically conceived way rather than resorting to logical reasoning. That means the basic stand that Atma or Brahman, unconditioned consciousness, in essence, is the one all underlying reality, is made a firm basis for the solution to all problems. If this forms one pole of the dialectical situation, at the other pole is placed each of the problems, and a solution to them is arrived at by relating each to the one firm basis. That Atma is consciousness in essence, is accepted by almost all the Upanishads and the evidence of it is our own direct experience. Narayana Guru gives special emphasis to this aspect in all his philosophical works. He proves logically also how it is one consciousness alone that unfolds itself as everything, particularly in his Advaita Dipika, the lamp of non-duality. In fact, This one stand makes it easier to solve many philosophical problems as well as the problems of actual life. This work is an original contribution of Narayana Guru to world philosophy in general and Indian philosophy in particular for no such in-depth philosophical examination of consciousness seems to have been undertaken till now either in the East or in the West other than a few psychological studies of the human mind that have guided different schools of Western psychology. A work 
having a personal mark of the Guru's own, its each word is filled with the clarity of a comprehensive vision of the one reality he realized. The original word for consciousness in the Malayalam language in which it is written is Aruvu. Every line of this work of 15 verses and 60 lines begins with the word Aruvu. We apologize for not being able to be as strict in this translation as Guru was in the original. It is to the strictness of sense rather than to the format that we give importance in the translation. The original is written in a musically recitable metra called Gitti. We have tried our best to make the commentary as simple as possible Yet the subtlety of ideas in it does not yield to the simplicity of language. The reader, in order to comprehend the real intention of Guru, would have to read repeatedly each verse and its commentary and meditate on it before proceeding to the next. A familiarity with the Guru's Atmabhadesya Sathagam, 100 verses of self-instruction, along with the philosophy of Narayana Guru, a study based on the above work and also the Advaita Dipika that forms part of this book is recommended before making use of this work for one's spiritual pursuit. Such cryptical works of great seers charged with the intensity of high philosophical vision are not amenable to logically convincing commentaries. It is a myth that logic is the only way to scientific thinking which helps you to attain certainty. For these reasons, any attempt to convincingly comment on such works will become futile, even if they go on endlessly. No commentary will be the last word either. The present commentary is also to be considered in this light. This explains why the present commentary is written while another by Guru Nityaje the Niyati my guru and predecessor, is already available. The present one could well be treated as an appendix to that. It is our earnest wish that more enlightening commentaries on this work will appear in the future also. It is one consciousness that governs the entire world. When we say consciousness, with capital C, we do not mean any state of mind in which we are conscious of something. On the other hand, it is the one pure and unconditioned consciousness substance that assumes the form of all such mental states. As the present work itself reveals, that one consciousness is the substance that appears as what we call the visible material world as well. It is the very same unconditioned consciousness that becomes conditioned and appears as the mental states of such unique, enlightened seers like Narayana Guru, and so the seeds of, of revolution in human understanding, both at the personal and social levels. In fact, it is the revolution that happens within the depths of human understanding that are then reflected as the revolutions in society. Such apparent social revolutions are easily taken notice of by observers, but the revolution causal to them 
happens within those who are enlightened and it always remains unobservable. Discovering the nature of that unobservable inner revolution alone helps you understand who and what a great guru like Narayana Guru is. In the particular case of Narayana Guru, the social revolution that took place in the state of Kerala, as inspired by him, is easily noticed and appreciated by historians, but the awareness revolution that took place within him, as revealed in the present short composition, remains yet to be properly appreciated by historians of philosophy. His philosophy is neither a repetition of the already existing schools like that of Sankara, Ramananju and Madhva, nor a compendium of all such philosophies. He precisely and concisely represents the Upanishadic vision in terms easily understandable to the mindset of a modern man. The present work shows clearly how original his way of thinking is. That brings us to the end of the introduction to the uh, poem. So thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the introduction and I hope it's given you appetite and thirst for what is to come. Until next time, um, where I will be looking at verse 1. Goodbye for now and once again thanks for listening. Thank you.